I have this gaming convention management system, GCMS, I suppose, and um, it's been in use and developed more or less since 2008. So it has seen some conventions, probably over 20 by now, because some years it's one, some years it's three. And it's been working with ROH. It's built in Django and Python. Uh, so if I say, okay, we, we need to, to uh, talk about the Django terminology because for some reason they couldn't choose the same terminology as everyone else. So when I say view, I mean controller. But I think view is a better word. It is, but still. Because model view controller has never made much sense to me, but uh, model view template is pretty clear. Yeah, it is. Uh, so, but yeah, just so you know. So we have that mapping there. Okay, so I have this the system. It's been doing its thing for so many years, and it's doing its thing this year too, uh, for a uh, LARP convention in Trollhättan of all places. I think it will be great. And one day I got a first message that was like, so uh, do you have any logs on program items? Like when they were added and changed and so on? And I said, no, no, sorry. I think I might have a mail log at our mail provider of when they are added or changed because I think we mail out a receipt or just a mail uh, to the person who had the, the program item. Okay. But nothing more than that. And the problem was that suddenly program items were deleted just oh. without any kind of provocation. <laughs> they just disappeared. So one of those UFOs comes and lifts the program items into, the, into space, the final frontier or maybe the rapture of the program items. And I thought, because I was quite stressed and tired at the moment, that this is a one-time occurrence, freak accident. If I ignore it, it will go away, because I'm a human. Yep. And it took a couple of days, and it didn't go away. They kept disappearing. The same program items kept disappearing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so they were... Adding them back yeah. because they really wanted them to actually exist. Exactly. And and I always get this horrible feeling when I have written a or created a bad software that just adds more work for people. It just yeah, horrible, horrible feeling. <laughs> but so when they have done this a couple of times, we not me, one of the organizers of the convention figured out that if they put a favorite mark on the program item and then removed the favorite mark, the program item disappeared. It was deleted at the same time. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) And this code has been in use for so many years. I haven't really touched it. I've upgraded Django, though, every year. I usually do that once a year. So we get the new version the summer before the convention and uh, then we run with that version until the convention is over and then it all starts over 
And you didn't pay attention when they shipped Django 3.12, Destructive Favorites? Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I still haven't figured out what they have changed. But I started to dig through the code. My first suspect was some kind of uh, cascading delete thing in, um, you know, in the database. Yeah, so if favorites are per user and then you remove your favorite with that cascade to the to the program item thing you're faving, yeah. Yeah. that would be the idea, I guess. Yeah, so that, that was my hypothesis. Uh, that hypothesis was false. That was not the case. Did it reproduce? It, it did reproduce, but not through that way. So when I opened opened the same same thing and I I favorited a program item, I removed the favorite, and then it disappeared. <laughs> so <laughs> So the process did reproduce yeah. uh, the issue. Uh, but the database wasn't the culprit. The database was cool. Uh, I love Postgres. It's cool. No, the culprit was that I had implemented this functionality with a delete view from class-based views. And until recently, you could apparently overwrite the delete functionality so it only so it did what you wanted instead of what it wanted. But then something happened and now it does what you want plus what it itself wants. Oh, so they kind of changed the meaning of doing super or something. Yeah, but I didn't do super. It just did it anyway. It just does it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what's going on there. (laughs) Gotta love object-oriented programming. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, the, the solution to this problem was to throw away the class-based view and write this as a function-based view because they are more sane anyway. I yeah. I had some kind of class-based view. I don't know. I wanted to try them all for a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's the the intended path, but I, I found class-based views in Django so much more confusing than a function. Yeah, I think that if you want to go... Uh, go long on class-based views, you should find one of those alternative implementations of them because there are some... Because if you use Django's ones, they are just way too many moving parts. But there are alternative class hierarchies that make sense, or more sense at least. Uh, And I think even if you ask one of the Django maintainers, um, they go, yeah, that was a mistake, but now we're backwards compatible, so we're not going to change anything. So yeah, the solution was remove the class-based views, do function-based views that only removes the connection and not the actual (laughs) items that are connected. Uh, yeah. the items in this case is a user and a program item. Oh yeah, so it was a relationship between a user and a program item that was uh, a favorite. Yeah, many to many. All the good yeah. stuff. So yeah, that was that was a trip. Many, much panic, <laughs> much feeling, yes. <laughs> Have you had any of those really stable and nice systems that just fell over for you? 
So I've had definitely had systems that failed in new and novel ways that had nothing to do with what we were currently doing. For example, one version of the preschool system I worked on, it was built on top of Drupal, which was both a mistake and interesting. Uh, <laughs> but it was Drupal 6, and Drupal 6 had this nice uh, property, uh, which is not a good property, but it, it's very convenient, that all fundamental like content entity items, um, every entity is called a node. Oh. And every node is stored in the table node. <laughs> I can't see how this could go wrong. Um, we've been running this system for quite some time, and we had implemented a lot of custom types of nodes because fundamentally you can think of it as like, oh, we're implementing a new schema. Well, that's a new node. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's an entity, not necessarily if it's a relationship, but um, a new entity would be a new node node type, which is just a field on the node. All kind of special fields not like title but everything else uh was in separate tables and it was a whole thing but eventually when you do a bunch of cool stuff and don't know very much and you build up the system where people are creating content left and right and they're uploading media and i get i bet every piece of media was a node because why not well of course and we probably had some logging functionality that used the node system. I would not be surprised. There were a lot of things that used the node system, let's just say. So this was a big table. And eventually it ran out <laughs> of incrementing IDs. Congratulations. <laughs> we, we wrapped a 32. So an in 32. I believe, it, yeah, it must have been an in 32 we wrapped. Yeah. And it wasn't that, like... Thankfully, there there was no catastrophe because the system had, at some point, we'd like taken the database from one version of the system to another or something and just removed the old content. Mm -hmm. So I think all our IDs were at like maybe 64,000 or something, let's say. And the wraparound hadn't gotten that high. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to, be, to be clear, wrapping around a primary key like yes that's bad if there is a risk for collisions and like the the new low id is starting to pick up stray relationships from old things that have existed like there there are a ton of things that can go wrong yeah. but we didn't actually have that problem in that system <laughs> so we expanded it to an instant 64 and that that kind of solved that uh, and when it was going to, and then I think I just called something that set the set the auto increment thing high again. Um, ah, yes. But but I think we got a few new, very low numbered <laughs> uh, nodes in there. But they were fine <laughs> because they were less than wherever we wiped that database, but did not reset the. <laughs> the thing uh yeah so that was unexpected we i think i've run into similar where it, things just stopped working because we hit the bounds of um of an in 32 mm -hmm. or where it didn't didn't wrap around or or had some other issue i also know i've i've run into the weirdness of like oh 
we have this system where people can author things. And this authoring system uses Postgres and everything is nice. And they put in the weirdest stuff. Our, we had one of those accessibility features where, where it could read aloud for you. Oh. Uh, an early, early uh, text-to-speech yeah. thing. But it was pretty nice. Yeah. But it did some weird stuff sometimes with um, when it got weird characters. And they got weird characters all the time because people were pasting from Word. Oh, yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, so you had, at one point when we were testing this, we would just hit the hit the playback, and it went, ah, circumflex. <laughs> but in Swedish, so circumflex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that became a bit of a meme around the office. <laughs> and, of course, there were some hidden characters that, that kind of triggered that behavior. We couldn't fully reproduce what made it go <sighs> <laughs> but it did i don't know why that was in there <laughs> so that one was fun uh, we also had to reach out to them and ask them to kind of adjust how it behaved because it was doing weird things when it got special some special characters but they they mostly fixed that i don't know if they turned on more filtering of input or whatever yeah. but Another thing we ran into with these unusual characters is, of course, that when we wanted to use this content in the final system, that final system was also built on Drupal because of reasons that was my life at that time. Very Drupal. So we we were sending from a Django Postgres system to a Drupal MySQL system. Oh. And let's just say that the default Unicode collation... I think it's called in my sequel does not cover Unicode. <laughs> it does not cover 90% of Unicode. Oh no. It does not cover 50% of Unicode. I believe uh, I found a very angry, very funny post about this. I believe it covered something like 32% of <laughs> Unicode. Oh no. Uh, it's not whether it supports it, it's whether it can represent it because I think they used maybe six bytes or something. Uh, but that must surely be enough. Or or like 14 bytes or whatever yeah. it was. It, it was a butchered uh, weirdo multibyte thing. Uh, oh, so they implemented their own version of Unicode, because why not? Well, they, they implemented their own version of either UTF-8 or UTF-16. <laughs> but not, uh. not enough of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was horrible, and that's the that's the one that is named in a way where you think it does Unicode. <laughs> uh, and I think we had to switch it to Unicode MB or something, which was probably Unicode Multibyte. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember exactly how that worked, but it was a very unexpected error where it's like, oh, content that has worked fine in this authoring environment will just completely failed to transfer to the new system <laughs> because the database will not do it. Did it fail in a loud way so you could take care of it? Yeah, so you got an error when you tried to yeah. try to do the export. So it was not um, that type of uh, sneaky, weird thing. I've, I've had a lot of sneaky, weird uh, memory leaks at different times Yeah, where it's just like, huh, why is this not running? Or huh, why has this restarted recently? Or, oh, why did this not... Yeah, why did this piece on this server get stopped? And sometimes 
the out of memory killer will kill the the thing that's currently noisy <laughs> and not necessarily the thing that's taking all the memory. Yeah. So sometimes it will murder something that you actually wanted wanted there but did not have sort of set up for out, automatic restart or something and then you can get really weird behaviors. Yeah. And I I know I've had I've had servers that were just like ticking along for the longest time and then suddenly suddenly misbehaving. But usually what happens is that you go into like monitoring tools and gr- look at the graphs and then you just see memory usage go up over a long period of time and then drop to nothing. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, we might be leaking memory. Yeah. Either leaking memory or building up an infinite queue. Yeah. Which is a way to leak memory. Uh, indeed. Having half a system get killed or or spontaneously die makes you appreciate supervision trees so much. Yeah. It's like one of the best things ever. And you can get really annoyed at like tuning timeouts for calls and stuff. Yeah. But it's so very nice when something gives an error when a thing becomes unresponsive. Yeah. And and ends up restarting a bunch of shit so that there's a chance that the final thing that's holding a like zombie socket or something actually gets gets restarted. Exactly. Uh there's a I heard of this on the Oxide and Friends podcast. Highly recommended. Good podcast. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, So much chaos, so good. Um, There's a flag in TCP. So TCP back in the good old days had no congestion control because they didn't need it. And then about 15 minutes later, they needed it. So there was a dude who created an algorithm that I forgot the name of. It's named after him. But the idea is basically that you clump up the sent packets into one packet. Uh, So if I sit and write on my terminal, uh, it will, and I write really fast because uh, then it will clump up my five or ten characters or whatever into one packet instead instead of sending it one by one in very small packets. And this will remove quite a lot of congestion. And and you turn this off by setting the TCP no delay flag. And then your network becomes faster because we're having lots of other anti-congestion algorithms nowadays. And this is a, a... just a lovely way to break networks. And let me find that episode for you. <laughs> yeah, because it's just such a good story. Or many good stories. It starts with one story and then it <laughs> yeah. gets children. Yeah. Uh, uh, like I've heard stories about TCP and um, and congestion control and stuff. It's uh, supposedly a uh, Interesting. Like TCP overall is interesting. Yeah. And it seems like I believe for quick Google essentially so HTTP three aka quick yep. re implements parts of TCP but not all of it on top of UDP just to get away from <laughs> a bunch of TCP legacy that is just costly. TCP the good parts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Uh, because you can build, you can build the statefulness of TCP 
on top of UDP, but you can't remove it from TCP. <laughs> yeah. I, or you can't you can't remove too much from TCP. Actually, I I think like the no delay. I assume that's a that's just a batching time mouth essentially. Yeah, I think so. And that's one of those interesting things that are I think are hard to get away from. And when you start running into like certain areas of computing, just fascinate me in that like. What? There's no better way of doing this? Uh, but timeouts, for example. This whole thing that there is no way of knowing if something has gone away. Indeed. Uh, because it can always fail to tell you that it's going away. You can, well, you can know that something has gone away if it tells you, I'm going away. But uh, if you ask it, are you there? <laughs> There is no way to detect the difference between a slow response and a response you will never receive because it's not there. And that is what gives us the timeout. And the timeout is the only valid way of doing this, really. And long timeouts are generally bad. <laughs> yeah. Because it delays how long it takes before you're aware of the problem. And similarly with batching, you can gain efficiencies by batching up related work, but suddenly your latency will be generally uh, like related to the size of your batch delay. Yep. Um, so th- that's something I realized when I was playing around with some of the machine learning stuff because uh, like NX supports batching for better GPU utilization. But if you turn on any kind of batching, that's how much time, like say 500 sec- milliseconds of batching, then, then you're adding, for a single request, you're adding 500 milliseconds because it cannot know that there are more coming, <laughs> whether there are more coming. It's just some stuff is unavoidable if you want the... <laughs> the upside and uh yeah sometimes i find that fascinating when it's just like things you cannot get away from like physics yeah yeah like you can usually avoid batching like you don't necessarily need a batching timeout if you don't need batching and sometimes you can do batching based on size but then you have unbounded time unless you add a timeout as well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are two things here that are, are quite interesting. One of which I know holds and the other I don't. Uh, I had a professor in computer networks cor- in a computer networks course and he said that you got to pick between latency and throughput. Yeah. Like low latency or high throughput. Pick one of them. You can't have both. And he has said it. And I have still not. I don't know if it's true or not. I have no idea, but it makes sense. So, you know, <laughs> could be true. Uh, the other one that I know is true is the Nyquist theorem or Nyquist theorem, if you're from the States. Nyquist. Nyquist, uh, named or Nyquist Trannon theorem. Um, two dudes. Um, one of them were Swedish, I think. But he emigrated to the U.S. Or maybe his dad did, whatever. And the theorem is that when you're sampling things, 
you can get if you sample things at let's say for example uh, a uh, 44000 hertz sample rate yep you can restore a signal of up to 22000 hertz over 22000 hertz you get weird artifacts and just made up frequencies uh, so when you sample things in a, a signal like audio or whatever uh, you need a low pass filter to get rid of those high frequencies because they will just sneak into your system and become noise and make wreck havoc on everything hmm. and i think this is true for all kinds of sampling so you can let's say you sample the cpu utilization once a minute then you can at most this is just silly bad example <laughs> uh whatever <laughs> you can at most get those those frequencies of two minutes uh, and those frequencies are it hurts my brain because it's too too silly <laughs> but, well you see so so <laughs> if you do sampling on uh, your monitoring data you'll have to bring this Nyquist Shannon theorem with you so you know that you'll throw away lots of information and to make sure that you only throw away information you actually don't care about uh, because otherwise things will become funny in bad ways. Mm. Let me jump back to my, my, oh no, my application has started deleting things at random which it didn't do before thing. Jump granted. Oh, thank you. It was a long jump. So... Uh, I would have gotten stuck in the stack pointer otherwise. So I heard some, or I've heard several people say this, and I think uh, hexagonal design or something like that comes into this. Uh, because when I wrote the system, there are tests in the system. They have a tendency to become fewer and fewer because I delete them when I change things and don't have the, the energy to write new ones or change the existing ones. But I've heard several people say that you should never trust your framework or libraries. You should always write tests that test the, the stuff, do what you expect them to do. And if I had written those tests, tests that I thought was completely meaningless at the time, like if I remove one of these favorite relations, both entities both the entity that did the favoriting and the entity that was favorited. This is English, I promise. Um, <laughs> they are still left afterwards. They are still there. And if I had written that test, uh, it would have saved my bacon. But ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, so, yeah, I want, I'm, I'm having a bit of an existential crisis right now. But I think it boils down to test what you want your system to do, system, not sister, uh, to do, uh, and make sure that it doesn't do what you don't want it to do. This is way too hard. I think I prefer to have a system that goes blip now and then, and then I can fix it. <laughs> or? <laughs> no, let's go with that. Yeah. Blip, blip. <laughs>